Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Well, if you will, uh, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Let me get this situated here. There we go. Ephesians chapter 4 tonight, Ephesians chapter 4. Be looking tonight at a healthy church. What does a healthy church look like? What is a healthy church? We all want to be healthy people, right? So what is a healthy church? Well, what does that look like? So we're going to look through uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, Ephesians is written to uh, the church at Ephesus and probably other surrounding churches as well there. Uh, kind of a circular sort of letter. Uh, and in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul sort of deals with... Uh, what it means to be a believer, what it means to be in Christ, as we just sang in Christ alone, what it means, what the position of the believer is. Uh, and then uh, for the remainder of the book, what, what we call today now 4, 5, and 6, those chapters, he kind of spends talking about the practical applications of what that means when you're saved, when you're a Christian, when you're a believer. What does that mean, the practical outworking uh, of that? Uh, and so we're going to look through that uh, tonight, kind of a 10,000-foot level because we have a, uh, quite a bit to cover, but uh, we'll get there, we'll get through there uh, this evening. And uh, that's really what is picked up in chapter 4. And so I'm going to read Ephesians 4. I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 through 6 to kind of begin with, and we'll pick up later verses uh, as we go along, and then we'll pray together. But it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray. God, we are thankful today again for the opportunity to look into your word now as we come to this part of the service, God, as we continue to worship you, but worship you through uh, the reading of your word, the preaching, God, of this time. And so we ask that you would just help us to focus, Lord, on that right now, that you would give us wisdom and that you would uh, speak to us, Lord, tonight through your word, God. And may we um, be more like your son, Jesus. May the word change us, God. May the spirit reveal to us the things that we need uh, tonight in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about Christian unity, unity in Christ. What does that mean? What is a healthy church? A healthy church has unity in Christ. In verses 1 through 3, that's what Paul begins with. That's why it starts off with, therefore. We always look and see why it's therefore. We've heard that before. But the idea is that Paul's switching gears uh, from what he had talked about earlier on in the letter. Remembering that Ephesians is an epistle. It was written as a letter. And so in the same way that if you would get in a letter... Uh, from anybody or an email, you would read it all in one context. So everything together is important, uh, and we have to be careful about not pulling one or two verses out. So the context is important. 
Paul is going on and saying, listen, I just talked to you about what it means to be a believer, what your position is after you're saved, and now here is the outworking of that. So I'm beseeching you that you walk worthy of that vocation. God wants that unity to be there, uh, but there is some work that is needed. And so the members of a church, the members of a healthy church, the members of any church, uh, have to understand and realize that they can be the force for unity or they can be the force for divisiveness, divisiveness. I've worked all day on saying that word, y'all. I still said it wrong. Divisiveness, okay? You can be either one of those uh, if we're not careful. And so Paul implored his readers here at the beginning, beseeching you to walk worthy. And that walking worthy of the vocation, walking worthy of being a Christian, walking worthy of the new life in Christ is simply this, that your walk and your talk match up. That's the idea of the balance. What you say, I'm a Christian, matches with what you do, I'm a Christian. It matches up. But it also has the idea of household expectations, okay? We all have household expectations, right? Uh, when someone comes to your house, there's a certain manner in which you don't, you know, you expect them to come in, of course, to your home. And when you had kids or some of you still have children in your home or, or young people in your home, you taught them the household manners and the household expectations, Okay, and this household expectations that God has for his children as well. Ephesians 2.19 is where we kind of get that idea there. If you want to turn back there and just look quickly at Ephesians 2.19. It says, Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners. You're not outsiders of the body of Christ, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And so in the same way that you have household expectations, not only for in your house, but no doubt you communicated to your children, to, uh, or you still are communicating to your children, what the household expectations are outside of the house, right? How many of you ever looked at your kid and said, don't embarrass me in public? <laughs> right? Or you teach them good manners so that if they ever go to a person's home, you know, you're invited over for dinner to another person's home, they eat properly and sit up at the table and don't say, ew, I don't like Brussels sprouts, you know, whatever. So you have household expectations. Anyway, uh, and walking balanced, walking in that way. And that's what Paul is saying here. And the idea is that we are to do the same even still today. And Paul goes on in verses 2 and 3 to talk more about that with lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. All right? And if you notice there, if you have... Uh, looking at punctuation and so forth, lowliness and meekness, or maybe yours says gentleness and humility, uh, they're linked by the word and. There's not a comma there. They go together because they do go together. Okay, A person who is humble does not have an improper view of themselves. They're not the person running around talking bad about, I'm so, I can't believe I messed up again. I'm so bad. I'm so, you know, that's not humility. All right? Humility is just a proper understanding of your place, your position in Christ, a sinner saved by grace. All right? And that outworking of humility creates gentleness. You treat other people kindly, okay? And we, the humility uh, that we have been given grace, it allows us to give grace to others. So we're gentle in the way we treat others. Patience or long-suffering, okay? Understanding that all of us are growing in our walk. All of us. And so when we come into the body of believers, we come into the body of Christ, we all have things that, uh, that others may need to be patient with us as we're growing in our faith, Okay? And, and, uh, and not seeking to uh, get back at somebody, being patient with them, accepting, forbearing one another in love. Okay? All of us have eccentricities and quirkiness, right? We all have different personalities. So whenever you're tempted to say, boy, I really have to put up with so-and-so sometimes, remember that there's somebody out there going, boy, I really have to put up with that person all the time, right? Forbearing. 
with one another in love. That's the key right there. Understanding that we're all in that same place, sinners saved by grace. We give, we receive grace from God. We extend grace to one another. And Paul further uh, gives us indication of this in verse three. We're endeavoring. That's a big word, but it's diligently, diligently seeking and striving with determination to do something. We're endeavoring to keep uh, the unity of the Spirit. Now, we don't have to manufacture unity of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does in us, okay? Uh, that's the reason why we, some of you have been to New York, some of you have been to Moldova, and you have like an instant connection with those folks because they are, even though they're far away in a different city, different part of the country, different part of the world, they're fellow believers. We have a connection with them. Or when Pastor Andre came here very recently, you know, there was a connection there. Why? Because we're fellow believers. There's a unity of the Spirit that exists. So we're not trying to manufacture it, but we do have to keep it because our flesh riles up in us sometimes, causes us to say and think and do things that we have to be aware of. So endeavoring to keep the unity there. In this, and how do we do that? Through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit living in us. So that's the first thing. We have to be uh, uh, saved in order to have the Spirit in us. But we also have to be in tune in the Spirit. Go over to Ephesians uh, 5, verse 18 and 19. Because not only you know, do we have, we have to have that Spirit living in us, but we also have to have that Spirit controlling us, being in tune with the Spirit, not letting our flesh rise up. It says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord. And Paul used that analogy or that comparison on, on, on purpose. A person who has, is drunk is not in control of themselves. Okay? They're not in control of themselves. Well, a person who is filled with the Spirit is to be in control by the Holy Spirit so that the actions and the words and the things that come out of that person reflect the character and nature of Christ. And that is the way that the Spirit uh, main, helps us maintain unity. And, and gives us that. We're to make unity a priority, okay? And that word actually only occurs in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. That's the only places we see the noun. But the concept is everywhere, okay? Uh, John 17, 21 says this, that they may all be one. This is Jesus praying in the garden, that they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou has sent me. So there's a purpose and an intent for that unity. So that outside, people who are unsaved will look and see a difference at the people inside. And as we go out of the church building uh, into our daily lives, people see a difference in us. The biggest, the biggest hindrance, I think, would be selfishness. A desire to get ahead or to have the upper hand. Uh, we are instead, as we're going to see here momentarily, we're supposed to put aside our interests and serve others. That's what, that's what uh, Christ did. That's the example he gave us. And that's what it is that we do when we come together as well in the body of Christ. We put aside ourselves and look on the things of others. So diligently living in peace, given by the Spirit to the church. And then Paul goes to the talks about the, the importance, the importance of unity, the importance of it. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. So Paul used the word one seven times in those three verses to emphasize the importance of the unity that he wants uh, people to strive for. Okay, And that one body there 
is, is the, those who are uh, saved throughout the whole world. But the local church is the visible representation of those who are saved throughout the world. Okay? And so when we come together, we have a lot of different uh, talents and personalities and so forth, but we come together as one in a local sense. Okay? Uh, one hope. There's a common hope of eternity in Christ, a common hope of the resurrection, one hope that we have in salvation through Jesus Christ. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The baptism of the Spirit is what's referenced there that makes a, a person a, a part of the body of Christ. So we're united by believing in Jesus as Savior. And then one God who is all uh, and in all, all right? Christian unity goes right along with the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. We have one God that is manifest in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all right? And the oneness of God is very foundational to church unity as well. It's actually a picture. A body of believers can be a picture of who God is to the world outside when they dwell together in unity in that way. All right? And so there's a picture there that's very important for us to show the world as well the importance of unity. And Paul moves on from there going on, growing in Christ, picking up in verse number 7. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And so here we have gifts that are given. These are spiritual gifts that we're going to get into in just a minute here. But um, only a few are mentioned in this section. But we're given gifts of the Spirit at salvation. And the reason that we're giving these gifts is so that we can minister to one another within the body. This goes back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 4. There's one body, and they're given gifts so that we have uh, uh, everyone working together in a way that everyone is growing in Christ together as well. We have to understand that. Here in America, we have this kind of concept of individualism, and it's American culture, so you know we, we pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, and we're rugged individualist people, you know? Um, but... Um, in, in Eastern mentality, Eastern thought and so forth, Near East, they have a very communal type uh, family, very community-focused uh, uh, concept of, of, of their culture. And so to them, when they look at this, they say, okay, so all of us together are supposed to be growing all together. There is an aspect of each person has an individual responsibility to learn about Christ and to grow in their individual uh, uh, walk with Christ. That's very important. You know, you need to be in the Word individually on your own, studying God's Word and growing. But there's also the aspect that we are given these gifts to minister to others so the body of Christ overall is growing as well. So we have to, we have to understand that. That is why the gifts are given. They're not given so that you get the glory. They're given so God gives the glory. Okay? And that's the evidence of salvation. Verse number 8 is actually a quote from Psalm 68, 18. All right, and, and then Paul explains it in verse 9 and 10. It seems kind of interesting if you have, a, a, you know, you may have parentheses around verse 9 and 10. It's an explanation of what Paul means by ascending, and it's an explanation and a description that only fits Jesus Christ. But verse uh, number 8 is from Psalm 68, and it's talking about a conqueror, basically. All right, it's a messianic type reference in the Psalms. When a person would go out and conquer another people group at, this, at the time, and when, especially when the Psalms were written, all the spoils of war were brought in together. And then those who shared in the victory with the conqueror were given gifts from the spoils of war. 
all right? And that's, what, that's why uh, Paul is bringing in that messianic reference from the Psalms here. And then he explains it. Now he that ascended, what is it that but he also descended first to the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens that he might fill all things. That description could only be of Jesus Christ. And people go back and forth, well, you know, does it talking about he, he's, he's gone down and he's, you know, into, into, into Hades or into Sheol or whatever they would call it in the Hebrew times and, and, and when he died, and, or is it just he came to earth and now he's back? People go back and forth about what that means. But what basically we're saying here is this. Only Christ is the one who came down and who ascended back into heaven again. He is the one who gives the gifts. Verse 11 picks up with the gifts that they are. The gifts that are defined, the gifts that are defined here. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, there's only a few spiritual gifts mentioned here. And we did a spiritual gift study on a Sunday night, uh, I think last January. I don't remember when exactly. But anyway, um, we did a spiritual gift study. There's a lot. So if you want to read the other spiritual gifts, you go to Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, that area, uh, and you'll get all the other spiritual gifts listed out there. These ones are listed here because they pertain to the body of Christ and gifts that pertain to growing the body of Christ uh, in, the, in, in doctrine and in teaching and perfecting of the saints or in training. Uh, some of you may have a Bible that says training, training of the saints. Okay, uh, and so that idea there, but that's what it is. Those, these gifts are given so that the perfecting of the saints, the training, the work of the ministry. Now, the work of the ministers, those could be pastors, those could be teachers. These are spiritual leaders. These are spiritual leaders in uh, uh, the church body that are given these gifts. So it could be uh, a pastor. It could be a teacher in Sunday school, a Bible study leader. It could be um, something along that line as well, someone who shares the gospel is very good at sharing the gospel. An evangelist there, you know, would be another gift that's given. And why are these gifts given? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Not so that those people do all of the work of the ministry, but so those people help others uh, with their spiritual gift in training and perfecting. But the idea there is with the spiritual gifts that all of us together in unity are helping one another to grow up into a picture of Christ. Okay? Um, Training and perfecting also has kind of an idea of restoring the old, okay? Megan really enjoys doing this. She enjoys restoring things. And we have several pieces of old furniture in our house that look nice and restored, and, and, and we use them for various things in our home. And other people like to do that as well, you know? Uh, but you take something old and make it look new and, and, and better than it was before, all right? And that's what the idea of everyone's uh, spiritual gifts in unity with the Spirit, taking and restoring us to our original condition. We're members of the body of Christ, helping us to grow together. And then Paul goes on again, verse 13, "...till we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love." may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. When our bodies, when our bodies are working the right way, we feel good, right? 
I mean, when something's not right in your body, you got a little cold, you got the allergies come, or, or, or you know, heaven forbid, something worse. You know it. You know when you're sick. You know when something's not right. Okay, uh, and it's the same idea there as well. All of our all of our bodies work together for one purpose: to keep you alive, right? Okay, and so in the same way, all of us work together uh, to in the church for the unity, for the growing, for the staying alive. All right. But uh, the idea here is this, okay? Young children have a great desire to grow up very quickly sometimes, don't they? Okay? They talk about it all the time. When I grow up, and we often ask them that, right? Sometimes we take those pictures at the beginning of the school year, you know, when I grow up, I want to be, you know, a firefighter or whatever, you know, uh, those kind of things. And it's really cool. It's really cute to do that. And they have a great desire to do it. And then whenever you get to the age that you are, you're thinking, man, I wish I could be young again, right? <laughs> so, we talked about that in Sunday school on Sunday. We said we wish we could be young again as long as we had all the school knowledge and life knowledge that we have now. Well, then we could be young again, right? We don't want to go through the whole process over again. But anyway, but the idea there is that there are desires of young children to grow up. And there are markers that culturally we put on our, our culture, right? Like 16, you can start learning how to drive. And 18, you can vote. And I mean, there's these things that we culturally put as markers of maturity. When you reach this age, you should be able to do these things. And it's the same way for us. We ought to, first of all, have that desire to grow up spiritually, okay? To grow up spiritually and become mature Christians. Uh, and also having those markers in our lives, markers of Christ's life on us, that what we do is to please God, okay? What we do, we put, Christ put himself uh, after others. He put others ahead of himself. There's a spiritual marker of growth. Patiently enduring suffering, okay? A spiritual marker. Loving the unlovable. Forgiving the undeserving. Spiritual markers that are indicators of growth in Christ. And we can't do this alone. We can't work for this alone. But God equips us and God equips the people within the church to help each other grow together. So a healthy church is one where all the members are helping each other to grow up together. And the idea there, again, is that we're not to be, like, uh, tossed around to and fro, okay? A person who is immature in the faith or a person who is not growing the way they should, they can be carried about, as it says. I like that idea there, the tossed about or carried about. I get the idea of a ship just out in a stormy ocean, pushed around wherever the wind blows, wherever the ocean's moving, all right? And that's not what we're supposed to be. We have a firm foundation, and that is Jesus Christ and his word. And so in order to avoid that, in order to grow, we have to be in the Word. We have to be grown, grounded in the foundation of God's Word, growing together. And when those things come along, we'll be able to tell. We'll say, hey, you know what? That's, not, that's a false doctrine. That's a false teaching. That's not the right thing. That's not according to God's Word. That we're not pulled away. There's a lot of people that are pulled away by false doctrine. There's a lot of people in cults today that probably came out of a church that was teaching the Bible uh, on a very regular basis. But they individually didn't have a sound uh, uh, grounding in God's word. Maybe the church was a good church. Maybe they taught and preached the right thing and were a good, good church overall, but the individual wasn't grounded. They were pulled away to, to some other false doctrine. So we have to be aware of what God's word says and have that foundation there. This is what Paul said whenever we, uh, or, or what Paul was teaching here whenever we battle those false doctrines. Speaking the truth in love, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, being honest. This is where it gets hard. So where it gets hard because speaking the truth in love often means that somebody may be offended at what you're going to say. 
It gets hard to do that. But speaking the truth in love, communicate the message of the gospel with humility. Don't compromise the, the, the teachings of the scripture. Okay? Uh, uh, righteousness comes through repentance and trusting in Christ, and Jesus is the only way to salvation. Those are all things that are not necessarily popular uh, in our culture today, but they are the truth of God's word, and so we need to speak that truth in God's word uh, uh, in love uh, to uh, confront the lies that are all around us. There's a lot of lies all around us now, too. And then in verse 16, that's what it talks about, the whole body fitly joined together. When our bodies are working right, we feel good, we feel healthy. When there's something not right, we don't feel so good. And the edifying in love. And then finally, as we look at the last section tonight there, uh, Paul gives some very practical things that we all ought to be paying attention to before he closes out this particular chapter, this section. So begin there in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. Put, uh, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts. So the new life in Christ, the first thing Paul says is put off the old. Get rid of the old stuff. Okay, Living noticeably different from those who are not saved. That's what Paul says at the very beginning in verse 17. Don't walk. Don't have your conversation. Don't have your lifestyle patterned after unsaved Gentiles. And look at the descriptions that are there. Time going after it. Okay? And we see that around us today. And so we need to uh, make sure that as we are, we're putting off those things and putting on the new man. Okay? Instead, uh, creating uh, the new man created in righteousness, putting on the new, have renewed minds. Look at verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Uh, uh, the spirit working in us. We put off the old. We put on the new. Uh, I'm going to share this with you real quick. I think we've got enough time to, to kind of mention this here. But uh, I was reading this. Uh, they took a survey of 500 or so business individuals, okay? People who are in business, all right? Is it ever okay, and we're talking about speaking the truth here, is it ever okay to lie at work? All right, here we go. Many people said it's okay in some situations, and here's the qualifications they gave. If telling the truth would limit your career, okay? If your boss was also dishonest, it's okay to lie also. Um, or if you work in a place where mistakes are not tolerated, then it's okay to lie so you can cover your mistake. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, okay? I've, I'm not trying to whatever. I'm not trying to... You left off preaching and gone to meddling. Okay. No. What I'm trying to say is this. Our culture has become very good at deceit, right? Okay. Uh, our culture has become very good at deceit. And if we're not renewed in the spirit of our mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2, if we're not renewed in the spirit of our minds, we're very tempted to bring some of those attitudes and actions into all parts of our life, including into the church, if we're not careful. And I don't have to tell you this, but in, in a dishonest situation, trust is broken down very quickly. 
And so it, within the church body, there should be trust. There shouldn't be distrust of fellow Christians and distrust of, of those you work with. And so that's why he says here, or within the church body, putting away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for remembers one of another. We're a body of members. Okay? So put away those things. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Those two verses go together, verse 26 and 27. Now, I don't have them all written down, but there are three Greek words for the word anger in English. Okay, three. All right, there's one that means like extreme anger, like you're out of control. You're just, you know, out of control. Um, and there's another one that's just anger. And there's another one that is mild irritation. Mild irritation. Now, of the three Greek words that's there, which one do you think Paul actually put there? Mild irritation. When Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, don't, let, don't, don't be, be angry and sin not, he said, don't, don't let the mild irritation of life stay with you. I have to work on that one. I'll be honest with you for a minute. But it's not this anger that we think of with, you know, that kind of thing. Don't let the mild irritation stay with you into the night. Don't give place to the devil, okay? Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. This has to do with uh, uh, a Christian work ethic. And here's the reason why. Working with his hands, that which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth, okay? Uh, that as we are blessed, we can be a blessing to others, Okay? And then finally, Paul deals a little bit more with what comes out of our mouth. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is, proceed out of your mouth, excuse me, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. The corrupt communication, the word corrupt literally means rotten. Now, I've done this before, and I think you probably have too as well. You've gone to the refrigerator, and you've opened it up for a snack, and you said, whoa, something in there is not right. You can tell instantly when something in your refrigerator has gone bad, all right? That word rotten, that word corrupt, that's, that's that word, that smell that comes from rotten food. Paul says, don't let that come out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, grieve not the Holy Spirit. This one seems like, well, why? Okay, we're just kind of thrown in here. But the special work of the Holy Spirit is to create that unity in, in believers. And our words can tear that unity apart so fast. It's like toothpaste, right? You ever put too much toothpaste on your toothbrush? Okay. You can't put it back in the tube, though. I mean, it's just there. It's just there, you know? Once a toothpaste comes out of a toothpaste tube, you can't put it back. All right. And so it's the same thing with our words. We have to be careful with our words. It's not only is this a warning specifically about foul language specifically, okay, but it's also with our words we say in general. I like this verse in Proverbs 18. I read a whole book on it. You know, have you ever, read, I'll tell you this, okay. Frank Peretti, who wrote Piercing the Darkness, This Present Darkness, and other ones like that, he wrote a book that was not a story like that. It was a true, true-to-life kind of book called um, Wounded Spirit. And he talks about when he was a kid, he was bullied all the time and how it stuck with him his whole life. But it's based on this verse, Proverbs 18, 14. The spirit of man will sustain his affirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? You know, when we say sticks and tones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, it's really not true. It's really not true. Uh, uh, we can get broken bones, we can get healed. We can have surgery, we can get healed. We can get a bruise, we can get better. But our words can have lifelong impact on those. So minister grace to those around you in, in what we say. 
And then finally, Paul closes out the last two verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put it away. Put it away completely. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So a healthy church is that church in unity that is growing together, that is helping one another, where all members are using their spiritual gifts, uh, where we are keeping in mind that we are sinners saved by grace, extended grace to us, and we extend grace to others, and we work together for that unity, striving to be a picture of who God is to the world, because the church as a whole can be a picture of who God is to the world, just as you can be a picture to who God is, of who God is, of who Jesus Christ is, as you go individually places, the church also can be a picture of that, the bond of unity together, a healthy church.